I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. Oh, I can't wait to read your baby poems because I'd already got like quite a few baby poems in about other people's babies in my book. Um, and I was also like, oh, come on, I have an imagination. I can write about, you know, whatever, squirrels with guns, I can make it up. And then sure enough, loads of baby poems came out and I had to accept that that was the case. So uh, this is the first poem. Um, it's called There is a supermassive black hole 400 million times the mass of our sun at the center of our galaxy, and you are pregnant with our daughter. Um, the only thing I should perhaps uh, say about this poem is that the, the term all-purpose device, the idea of a human mind not being an all-purpose device, is from um, the cognitive scientist um, George Lakoff, who wrote this wonderful book about well, how the, the human mind isn't an all-purpose device. Basically, it's very highly specifically evolved for, for the things that we do and everything, and, and actually... We, we tend to think of it being capable of much more than what it's designed to do, which is really move rocks around a cave and, and, and defecate over there and, and eat over there and, and, and the usual sort of material business. So, anyway. Don't defecate over there. I don't know. <laughs> the exits are here, here, um, and defecation um, down the stairs. There is a supermassive black hole 400 million times the mass of our sun at the center of our galaxy and you are pregnant with our daughter. We are not unique and we are. Every galaxy has its warden. Another fact is that the human mind is not an all-purpose device. It is natural to be overwhelmed. Sometimes the summer needs a snow day. The story of the mind is that we woke up in caves and arranged the rocks to make these intersections and subsequent minor league fixtures. Now we have intimate waxing salons, overage, offshore, diffidence, failed special handshakes in the lobbies of the pyramids, songs always in the charts, you look different, tra have you done something different to yourself today? The garden is crying. 
and I truly feel the mind is not an all-purpose device. Sometimes the sky needs its tattered flag. It is natural to experience things as difficult. The story of difficulty goes that it was experienced, then spread across the land like a more efficient language, like a wet kind of money in love. It is natural to be overwhelmed. Love can be both the train and the silence that follows it down the track. The garden will stop eventually. Meanwhile, traffic remembers and forgets itself on the road beyond the window. I'm so scared, aren't you? There is a supermassive black hole 400 million times the mass of our sun at the center of our galaxy, and she already responds to our voices. So the next poem is called Prolactin, and that's the uh, lactation hormone. But it's also, interestingly, uh, increased in men who are around babies and lactating women. So um, I feel like I've definitely had like my life ruined by <laughs> the sudden increase in prolactin. And basically, it's sort of side effects are it makes you anxious and sad. And it also, um, what are the other ones are they? Yeah, like your testosterone just goes like drops out. You've got nothing. And yeah, it's basically like being 30 again. Like it's like being in your 30s, doubling down on it. Um, so anyway, this is a poem about that. <laughs> now I am even softer. Not just the Christmas commercials. I cry to reggae. <laughs> I cry on my way to the shop, so I have to go to the further shop to give myself more time. <laughs> I am nearly beautiful, pressed against an edge I cannot name for the first time. I'm beautiful about all the things I can do with my hands for other people. How much love do I have inside me now? as in the effect of mass on the curvature of space-time, or, okay, okay, something you can see. Maybe rapeseed yellow every day, the whole fucking field. Dealing with babies is like, uh, or a baby, is like hard enough. Like, it's really crazy. That's, that's such a, a, a doof, doof bag. So that's not doof bag. like a Justin Bieber lyric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just in babies, I don't know. Um, but it's like, it's, you don't know what they want, you know, and they want all the time. Um, so this is, I guess, is a poem about that. It's called 15 Babies in My Garden. 15 babies in my garden, each at a different stage in their development, including a fully grown adult baby. All of them sitting around or lying or trying to turn over onto their fronts or back onto their backs. The sunshine, apple-scented, the tr still trees, monastic, as I carry a large tray of drinks out to them. Different milks in different bottles I've sterilized, and for the adult baby, an old-fashioned in a tumbler, orange peel suspended in ambler, a black cherry blot. Here you go, babies, I say, and they coo and squirm and gripe and sleep regress. What are you guys talking about, I ask. And the adult baby being the best speak speaker among them, and therefore I suppose their designated spokesperson, <laughs> replies, we were just talking about the ruinous and beautiful ways we're going to break your dumb old heart and totally fuck your life up. <laughs> and they all start laughing. <laughs> So that's babies for you. 
Um, this is a poem, I forgot to press go. I don't collect 200 pounds now. That's not our fee, that's not a disclosure. Um, <laughs> um, this is uh, a poem called Instead of Bad News About a Person I Love. And um, it's basically when it responds to the idea that when, you're, when you catastrophize, which is to imagine the worst outcome of every scenario, you're encouraged by some uh, health professionals to imagine alternative uh, positive scenarios. Instead of bad news about a person I love, I got a letter through the post decreeing my sainthood. Beatified, I sat down because this was big news for me. <laughs> bless the television, bless this chair of four wooden legs. I felt like calling my parents, but thought in a saintly way to do so would be immodest, so instead I opened the curtains. Rain was washing everything that seemed in need of washing. A bird landed on a bush and shook water from its wings, and I closed my eyes briefly, acknowledging its small, hard-working soul like a microchip destined for heaven. The cat came in, little devil, and I forgave her, touching under her chin, sweet child. We watched the news together and reflected that this was how the world churns its butter of beginnings and endings in front of the sun. What good, I wondered laterally, might befall an ancient tree today? Perhaps merely nothing much. Perhaps a tree will carry on just as it was. What minerals will develop unseen in the earth deep beneath a human tragedy? Some minerals. Some salty, bright minerals in the dark. I spent that morning cutting white paper into triangles. I spent that afternoon staring at my bits, enamoured. I spent that evening clapping loudly in the garden. And come bedtime, I was ready to write my long email to the President of the United States of America. Um, and that was a different president than the one we have. And a different email. Um, <laughs> So this is a poem that I was encouraged by Hira to read. You, am I taking the blame for this now? No, no, no. I, like, I said I don't know if I should read it, and you were like, oh. You, beg you were like, please, please, <laughs> tell me to read it. <laughs> you were on your knees begging. That's true. That is true. Yeah. But I didn't want to. <laughs> and yet here we are. Um, I think of this as a love poem to my parents. Um, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but they're okay with it, so it's fine. The way that love can leave us. In the morning, I needed to go almost immediately, but was surprised to find looking down afterwards that some blood had come out of my bum. It was hard to say how much blood because it was all in the water, but it was definitely blood from my bum. There was blood on the paper when I wiped my bum also. I ran an internet search, blood coming out of my bum, which returned <laughs> some horrible diagnoses and terrible pictures, but also linked to sites giving everyday reasons for blood coming out of a bum. But as this was my bum that my blood was coming out of, I didn't find it at all comforting to read about other people's <laughs> bums with blood coming out of them. If anything, I felt worse picturing us all. I called mum and dad and just came right out and told dad, since it was dad who answers, dad, I said, I've got blood coming out of my bum. <laughs> did you put anything up your bum? <laughs> no, dad, I did not. So it's definitely your blood. As sure as it's my bum, it's my own blood coming out of it. Well, that's the main thing. It's just usual bum blood. I get it all the time. 
want to speak to mum about it because mum was a nurse. Um, okay, hi mum, hi love. How much blood? An egg cup full? Oh God, less than that. It was hard to tell in the water. A tablespoon? Less than a tablespoon of blood, I think. Well, sometimes we just do a really big one. It sounds like <laughs> sounds like piles to me. Yeah, it was quite big, though. I wasn't really paying attention to you know the size of it at the time. It's nothing to worry about. Just get some drugs to put up there, and if blood is still coming out of your bum at the weekend, then go and see a doctor. Okay, mum. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, love. Welcome to the world of hemorrhoids. I heard Dad shout in the background. <laughs> in that way, he does when they have it on the speakerphone. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so this is a poem. I guess as you get older, like your body changes naturally, and um, I found that like that whole process sort of horrible. And and not because of this, I just largely because I feel like I've lost a certain boyishness. I've lost uh, and the androgyny that comes with being like kind of like bendy and fey and nice. And um, this is a poem about that, I guess. I am become a man with fats around my organs lightly, hair grown on my shoulders lightly, death in all my actions as I build a log store shirtless in the autumn. I hate this gathering and deepening beneath my pale tabard. Boyhood gone, and with it all my girlishness, hands on the headphones, dance move, lasso move and shimmy. Now my hips thrust solemn as lorries gather in a lay-by to discuss my remaining options. I cannot leave the barbecue unsupervised as I focus on ignoring my body in the changing rooms. Not one of the maximum eight permitted items fits me nicely. Handsome is for horses, houseplants, hotels, tall and deco in dreamy pastel shades. I've never wanted to fight anyone ever or be real this way and mean it. I just want to bellow love unbridled, an elk beneath an overpass and retire my life gently so that capable hands need not lift much soil or sadness. I'm of the generation for whom I suppose social media was very like early on and luckily we got to like navigate all those awkward teenage years before it I think and I do feel like it's lucky. I'm very sympathetic to people younger than me in that regard and because actually I think what happens is you look at people around you the idea you have this envious sense that everyone else's life is better um, than yours, um, which is a horrible thing to think about your friends, but also entirely natural. So no shame in that. So this is, I guess this poem's kind of about that. Inventory of friends. I run through the grass top lives of my friends. I would like to have his body that is so slender it looks sponsored by a company from Switzerland. Or that guy's gliding youth, his hopeful wardrobe, I could use a transfusion of shyness to my voice. I know 10 people who are blessings, good people for long car journey, journeys, good people for talking to on steps outside before we go in, or that 20th century, century seriousness that he has. I'd like a slice of proper prowess. And I try to imagine having her mind, funny, smart, and odd, as 20 emperor penguins filing through the door of a black limousine, but with a predictability that would be cuteness if it weren't honest first. My thoughts turn to you. 
what it might be like to be so quietly impressive as a morning, or a factory in the distance. What it might be like not to have a clumsy great self always knocking. What it might be like to be you, coming home in four hours' time, with no inkling of the way my insides groan and click, like a tired old galleon, when you take off your coat like that. So this is a poem um, I wrote at a similar time of year.、Um, marking was marking season was mentioned. <laughs> It's like an insane thing that academics have to do, where they have to read essentially the equivalent of like eight novels in a week. It really is horrendous, and it, and it did send me mad one year because there was an administrative error where I got like more than a, an extra fifty percent of my allocation. Very boring details, but this, but this is what you came for, right? <laughs> you could just read the book, but no, you have to have the the really fun lyric stuff.、Um, <laughs> so yeah, my sister. The only thing you need to know is that between me and my older brother, who's three years older. Um, my mother had a miscarriage, and I grew up with the sense that I might have been my sister, or that my sister、um, is me somehow. My sister. Two summers ago, when I was going nuts, I thought my sister's ghost lived in our garden. My shoulders felt warm, and I confided. Let me say she was real then, as a tongue you can bite. Let me say I knew she was very good at hockey. And fun as a tent, she painted roughly but well, liked boys with beards but not sex with boys with beards. Her hands were the same size as mine. Her voice seemed unaffected by gravity, and she would often discover herself holding a table's attention. She told me that her ideal man was Picasso, and that her biggest regret was not putting her name firmly onto living, slipping beneath it before she was born. And I regret it, in the garden with the dead fireworks, my face going wet, everything crashed on this wall, another summer coming on. So two more new things, and then one old thing.、Um, this is called big shout out. I was recently discouraged or encouraged. I was encouraged to have.、Um, The, there's like a big shout out to various people in this poem, and、um, my friend Sam was like, "Oh, you should have massive at the end. Big shout out to the something massive." And it became too silly, so I took that out.、Um, but I feel like just for this one reading, I'm going to mention that, so you can all <laughs> imagine it, and 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 the the funnier poem it would have been. <laughs> big shout out to the house animals, and the animals of the ocean. With its vast pressures surrounding reassuringly, to the sky looking great in its harness, and relief, my favourite emotion, to the drop-in centre, all-night vigil at the corner shop, to figure skaters rehearsing after hours, running their routines in headphones on a night bus, to the requiem, days and horizons on the slide, and the cold still circuit boards. In every dead satellite, to remembering names correctly, to the new coats of paint on all the gates of heaven, and this poem is a love poem for I guess for my my girlfriend Hannah who I who did I mention that we've been together like sixteen years, so like since we were eighteen, so it's a it's a long time love poem. 
which you don't really hear a lot of. Lots, a lot of the times it's like, you know, all about, you know, new sexy times and stuff. This is for like the old oaky, oak cask kind of, <laughs> like 28 days hang up, hung up in, in like cured and smoked and all that business. <laughs> Lovely. War the war. War the war, the sorry edge of us. Because we stacked nice clean plates for days. We were sure things when love broke across the headland. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi er skide trætte af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 
No one came to stop it. No one seemed to be around to see it, and I felt very alone. From nowhere a great tearing came. A fighter jet, low and aggressive, ripped above me in surprise. I dropped on one knee and watched it zoom, bellowing overhead. As it passed, I saw a shred of something fall, a rag spinning. I shielded my eyes to see, bewildered and pinned, watching the object, the rag, gather its falling weight, its speed, until it flumped down without a bounce, only ten footsteps to my right. It was part of a white bird, a gull, no head, just a wing and a hunk of body, no leg or tail, just the wing and the torso. Purple and bloodied, a violent puddle surrounded it, already mixing with the grit. Ferrous blood wafted, and I recoiled, feeling suddenly cold and very high up. And the view swam madly. I saw for a second the flaming tree as I staggered backwards and became aware that I was sitting. I had fallen, but I felt. As if I was falling and falling still, my mind unable to connect the events which were real and terrifying because they were real. Only now I think it was not perhaps a mountain. It was not perhaps a shrub on fire, and not a fighter jet boring its noise through the sky. And I am certain now it was not me or a wing or body of a broken bird, but the fearful and forgotten things that I've lied to myself about and to my friends. And to my family. Hopefully, my mother doesn't call me. Oh no, I haven't given her my British cell phone number. That's good. We'll just leave that there. Hi everyone, thanks for coming. It's nice to be. I work in a bookshop back home, and it's really nice to be in such a lovely bookshop that doesn't have an entire section dedicated to Lord of the Rings travel guides. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with my worst poem, which everyone who has ever published any books of mine has asked me to cut out,、um, but I finally got it in this one.、Uh, it's called Bruce Willis. You are the ghost. It's not that your wife doesn't love you. It's because you died, and now you're a ghost, and she can't hear you talking to her. That time you saw her taking off her wedding ring. It's because you're her dead husband, and she can't continue to mourn your absence with heterosexual jewellery indefinitely. Stop haunting her already, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, it's hard to be a ghost and not know you are a ghost. Haven't you noticed the only person you've talked to in a year is a supernaturally gifted child? <laughs> Don't you think it's weird? Your wife just cries alone in the living room every night, rewatching your wedding tape and never looking or speaking to you. <laughs> Don't you remember being fatally shot in the stomach at the beginning of the movie? <laughs> Walk towards the light, Bruce Willis. Walk towards the light. <laughs> um, this is called Ways of Making Love. Um, and the other day, I was、um, kind of doing an interview with someone, and they asked me about all of the kind of sex in my book. And I was like, I feel like I feel like I don't write about sex that often. I feel like it's a sexist question. And then I come to read a poem like this, and I'm like, Ah,、oh, that's right. There is heaps of sex in my book. <laughs> Ways of making love, like a metal detector detecting another metal detector, like two lonely scholars in the dark clefts of the Cyrillic alphabet. Like an ancient star, slowly getting sucked into a black hole. So hard we break sports, leaving the conveners of the Olympics with a generous redundancy package. You are a denim tree, and I am the world's fastest autumn. I am the Atlantic fortress, and you are General Sherman taking me from behind. 
You stride into council chambers, waving a petition to orgasm. A lip of cloud brushes the roof of the barn. The pale trees curve around the eye and back into the brain. It's like watching porn through a kaleidoscope or a slow wind in a kite factory. Like dogs trying to do it people style, but failing <laughs> due to the inflexibility of their anatomical structures. <laughs> a cloud of bats floats slowly up into your brain rafters. You roll down my stockings like the sun peeling ocean from a Soviet globe. I want you in a 17th century field, tilling the earth like flesh tractors. In the red shade of a mammoth in the Natural History Museum. In the airlock of a space station, my heart shaking like an epileptic star. Between the plastic sheets of a lobotomy table because writing poetry about fucking when you could be fucking is the last refuge of the stupid. <laughs> It's like getting three wishes and wishing for less wishes. <laughs> it's like designing a flag the exact same colour as a sky. It's like crying over spilled milk before it's out of the cow. It's like breaking into a field at dawn and euthanizing the cow so you can get your crying over and done with and immediately begin adjusting to your new lactose-free existence. <laughs> but love isn't really like killing cattle, no matter what poetry wants us to believe. <laughs> The day is a vault, the sun has cracked, money flying everywhere like really expensive leaves. And here I am, begging you to come back, as if you were already gone. Um, this next poem is um, called Wild Geese by Mary, by Mary Oliver by Hera Lindsay Bird. <laughs> and I was explaining this the other last night to um, people at Keeble, and I was like, this is a poem about my ex-girlfriend's ex-girlfriend who I hate. Please don't put that on the internet. And then I went home and checked my Twitter, and immediately it was on the internet, so it's too late now. <laughs> and um, it uses some lines from the, the original Mary Oliver poem. You do not have to be good. Is everything you deserve from taking relationship advice from a flock of migratory birds. Even in poetry, I forgive you nothing, not even your new empire of grief. You take off your dress and stand in the river, your body a ghost on loan from someone else's past. Tell me about your despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, in a hospital gown, meanwhile, in a long dead language, meanwhile, every morning, the stars and tatters on the snow, Meanwhile, the Library of Alexandria burning in alphabetical order. Meanwhile, an asterisk blowing across the screen like tumbleweed. Meanwhile, in hyperbole. Meanwhile, every day for the rest of our lives, I return here to ask you how to forgive someone who was never mine to forgive. You do not have to be good. Being good isn't even the point anymore. I just don't think it's real to think of geese and feel so beautiful about yourself and so far away. Yesterday, my girlfriend and I borrowed a car and drove down through the valley where my mother almost starved herself to death 30 years ago, a huge silver wind blowing in from the sea. <coughs> what do I care if there's no justice in this world? Life is hard, and pain is hard, and it's hard for me to write plainly about the night my girlfriend told me she still loved you and call it art. It didn't feel like art. It didn't feel like a hundred miles through the desert repenting. It didn't feel like a broken wheel backwards into the sea, but it hurt me. It still hurts me, even now, the shadow of new leaves trembling the carpet. Oh Mary, how will we survive ourselves and will this life ever answer? I don't know. Panic and awe are the same to me. 
I love life and I hate death. So when you try to describe to me what it feels like to want to die, I can only look at you like you are a slow-burning planet and I am pouring water through a telescope. You do not have to be good. You do not have to be anything. This is not an anthem for the world. This life is a hard life and it crushes people. But it's also weird and full of heat. Crocodiles asleep in their red tent of hunger. Puzzle pieces blowing up the street on the road outside the house we sold all our things and moved south for. It was winter and we were so in love. Sitting on the floor of her grandmother's flat, watching the news roll in about a woman who had been chained for seven years in someone's basement and had just got free. The next morning we packed all our things and headed south, as if it were that easy, as if there were anywhere to arrive we could ever return from. That's my most serious one. I think I'm going to read something from my new chat book. Um, called I'm so in love with you I want to lie down in the middle of a major public intersection and cry. <laughs> it's not how you're supposed to start love poems but I'm too far gone to work up to it gently. Your naked back in the mirror has cured at least three to four major diseases. For you I would set myself on fire in a smoke detector factory. For you I would ride through the mall in a Segway knocking juices out of the, lungs, the hands of thirsty real estate agents. <laughs> Your lungs like Christmas stockings, waiting for Santa to climb down the chimney and put cancer in. Your face like the face of a dead French revolutionary in an outdated children's textbook. My stupid heart like a snow globe, filled with blood. If you left me, I would be forced to gaze despairingly into the middle distance. If you left me, I would be forced to emotionally distance myself from the situation as a self-preservation technique until eventually I healed enough to be able to consider romantic relationships with other people, all the time secretly resenting you for failing to sustain your attraction to me, despite the totally involuntary and uncontrollable nature of human desire. <laughs> your teeth like a graveyard in springtime. <laughs> your tongue like a mattress in a graveyard in springtime. <laughs> Your tongue on my cunt like a mattress in a graveyard <laughs> in springtime. My pubic hair like the black carpet on the Titanic. My ass like an ass buffet. You put me in a friendly but uncompromising headlock. You bite me all over my neck and shoulders. I don't know how to write a love poem because love is indescribable. It's this feeling you get where your mind gets hot and everything else gets insignificant with diamonds on it and you have to laugh and laugh at things in your second-hand dress. The slow rising of your eyelid like a girl's skirt. My eyes like two envelopes stuffed with snow and no return address. My eyes like a pale, pair of pale blue cowboy boots walking slowly down a city street towards you. It's like you finally found someone that interests you and you get more and more interested like a fascinating disease. It's like for some reason you have to think of the Wild West all the time, but it doesn't make any sense because you don't really care about the Wild West. <laughs> it's better than TV to look at someone and feel so much happiness, your smile a single arrow quivering in a tree trunk. It's like life is not a punishment. And sometimes good things happen for no reason. I stare and stare at you like you were a distant mountain in a homeopathic video game <laughs> with rare and medicinal flowers on it. 
<laughs> and the last poem I'm going to read uh, is uh, super long and it is about Monica Geller from Friends. Monica. Monica, 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 Monica Geller from popular sitcom Friends is one of the worst characters in the history of television. She makes me want to wash my eyes with hand sanitizer. She makes me want to stand in an abandoned Ukrainian parking lot and scream her name at a bunch of dead crows. <laughs> Nobody liked her except for Chandler. He married her. And that brings me to my second point. What kind of a name for show was Friends when two of them were related and the rest of them just fucked for 10 seasons? Maybe their fucking was secondary to their friendship and they all had enough emotional equilibrium to be able to maintain a constant state of mutual respect despite the fucking or conspicuous non-fucking that was occurring in their lives. <coughs> but I have to say, it just doesn't seem emotionally realistic, especially considering that they were not the most self-aware of people. And to be able to maintain a friendship through the various complications of heterosexual monogamy is enormously difficult, especially when you take into consideration what cunts they all were. <laughs> I fell in love with a friend once, and we liked to congratulate each other on what good friends we were, and how it was great that we could be such good friends and still fuck until we stopped fucking, and then we weren't such good friends anymore. <laughs> I had a dream the other night about this friend and how we were walking through sunlight many years ago, dragged up from the vaults like old military propaganda. You know the kind, young women leaving a factory arm in arm while their fiancés are being handsomely shot to death in Prague. And even though this friend doesn't love me anymore, and I don't love them, at least not in a romantic sense, the memory of what it had been like not to want to strap concrete blocks to my head and drown myself in a public fountain rather than spend another day with them not talking to me came back. And I remembered the world for a moment as it had been, when we had just met and love seemed possible and neither of us resented the other one. And it made me sad, not just because things ended badly, but more broadly, because my sadness had less to do with the emotional specifics of that situation and more to do with the transitory nature of romantic love, which is becoming relevant to me once again because I just met someone new. And this dream reminded me that, although I believe there are ways that love can endure, it's just that statistically, or based on personal experience, it's unlikely things are going to go well for long. There is such a narrow window for happiness in this life, and if the past is anything to go by, everything is about to go slowly but inevitably wrong in a non-confrontational but ultimately disappointing way. Monica, Monica, Monica. Monica Geller from popular sitcom Friends was the favourite character of the Uber driver who drove me home the other day and is the main reason for this poem because I remember thinking, Monica? Maybe he doesn't remember who she is. Because when I asked him specifically which character he liked best off Friends, he said, the woman. And when I listed their names for him, Phoebe, Rachel and Monica, he said Monica, but he said it with a kind of question mark at the end, like, Monica? 
<laughs> which led me to believe either he was ashamed of liking her or he didn't know what he was talking about and had got her confused with one of the other less objectively terrible characters. <laughs> I think the driver meant to say Phoebe because Phoebe is everyone's favourite. She once stabbed a police officer. She once gave birth to her brother's triplets. She doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks about her. Monica, she gives a shit what everyone thinks about her. Monica's parents didn't treat her very well, and that's probably where a lot of her underlying insecurities come from that have since manifested themselves in controlling and manipulative behaviour. It's not that I think Monica is unredeemable. I can recognise that her personality has been shaped by a desire to succeed, and that even when she did succeed, it was never enough, particularly for her mother, who made her feel like her dreams were stupid and a waste of time, and that kind of constant belittlement can do really fucked up things to a person, so maybe getting really upset when people don't use coasters is an understandable or at least comparatively sane response to the psychic baggage of your parents never having believed in you. <laughs> Often I look at the world and I am dumbfounded that anyone can function at all given the kinds of violence that so many people have inherited from the past. But that's still no excuse to throw a dinner plate at your friends during a quiet game of Pictionary and even if that was an isolated incident and she was able to move on from it, it still doesn't make me want to watch her on TV. I am falling in love and I don't know what to do about it. Throw me in a haunted wheelbarrow and set me on fire. And don't even get me started on Ross. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. 8 navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt. Det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.